The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, well, the culture war is on. This is that time on a Tuesday morning after 9 o'clock where we uh, get into things that are controversial, provocative, and uh, we've delved into some of these issues in the past, but we rekindle them anew with our two uh, panelists here this morning. Scott Masson is the Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Good to have you back, Scott. Thanks. Good to be here, John. And Justin Trotche, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning. Good morning, both John and Scott. Good morning. Okay. Uh, you know, I wanted to start because we've got a, a few things I wanted to address, but uh, obviously the story that we were just talking about in the last hour, gangbangers and this issue, you know, of somebody popping off a gun and killing somebody and seriously hurting some others at the Eaton Centre, rather brazen. Uh, but that's not the worst of it, really. Uh, not to diminish it, but uh, you've seen a spate of all kinds of antisocial, real repugnant stuff from the likes of this Luca Magnata now. And uh, then the Michael Rafferty case also uh, speaks to these uh, matters that, you know, just repulse us. I mean, they uh, are unconscionable and uh, beyond the pale in a lot of... We can cite Robert Picton, uh, and the list just grows and grows and grows. And there are some people who believe that now is nigh the time for uh, a debate again to be renewed as to whether or not the death penalty has a place in a civil modern society like our own. And uh, Scott Masson, I'll start with you. I mean, here you are, a man of the cloth. Uh, can you square that with your own religious beliefs? I can. It, um, it's, it's not the, the most straightforward of discussions. There's a considerable complexity to it. But the issue here is that, um, is human life sacred or not? Uh, I believe that it is. I believe that's the Christian view, that, that uh, all human beings have cr- been created in the image of God and they have dignity and they're worthy of respect. If someone takes a person's life um, with uh, full conscience of it, with intention, uh, like in the case of Rafferty, in the case of this Luca Magnata, uh I believe that the death penalty, a life for a life, is actually just. Uh, I think that if there is no such thing, ultimate sanction of the death penalty, what we are saying is that life is not sacred. The consequence of that is that we will have to determine how to deal with uh, the sort of social issues that we see around us, and we'll have to do through legislation, the proliferation of legislation. And I think there are, we're seeing increasingly that no aspect of life today, from cradle to grave, has been left untouched by legislation and the verdicts of judges and so forth. Uh, and things that were once entrusted to the family, to the to the parish, uh, to the local community, and kept out of the political sphere are now coming up in the political sphere, and the politicians are trying to legislate, manage it. But what they can't deal with is the fundamental problem, which, again, the Christian faith reveals to us, is of original sin. They can't deal with that. Well, and so, how, but how do you square it with the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill? Well, the, 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 thou shalt... semantics? No, no, killing is, is murder. Uh, the penalty for the murder in the law is death. There is a death penalty for premeditated murder. That's actually the consequence of the Ten Commandments. Now, the, 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 the real violation in taking another person's life is you are violating the image of God. 
and that is what every person bears. And everyone, therefore, has dignity and equality before the law. And that's a fundamental tenet of Western uh, Western uh, civilization is that everyone has equality of the law. Well, where do we get that idea from? It's a scriptural revelation. All right. All right. So uh, if you've done something that would merit a first degree rap is where you're going with this, I guess. I am? Uh, you, well, I, I guess uh, it means you've disqualified yourself from uh, being allowed to live, even in a modern civil society. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, I wouldn't take the Ten Commandments too literally. I mean, that prohibition on killing didn't stop the genocides that uh, were a rampant part of the Old Testament stories. Um, I don't think in an emotionally charged period like we're in right now, having to deal with uh, the so-called Montreal Butcher, the Eaton Center shootings, and a number of other atrocities around uh, the world, that this is the appropriate time to have what has to be a rational debate framed about costs and benefits. Um, When we look at what a justifiable punishment is for a crime. We look at things like deterrent uh, ability to rehabilitate a a criminal, uh, protection of society at large, um, without giving away sort of where I stand on the issue of capital punishment, mostly because I haven't really come up with a a definitive position, as Scott said, and I agree with him completely. It's rather complicated of an ethical question. But I think those are the three areas, deterrency, rehabilitation, and protection of society, that have to frame the conversation, not a knee-jerk, emotionally charged reaction to current events. Um, I also think in the context of a number of the tragedies that we've witnessed, the real debate is not about the level of punishment for a very serious crime, but about things like um, youth unemployment, gang-related violence, uh, banning synthetic drugs, if we're talking about the Miami uh, face-eating um, attack. Mm. Uh, those are the, the kinds of ethical, more far-reaching uh, debates I think we should be having right now. Mm. All right, but, you know, when you've got uh, enough of these things happening of a heinous nature, and very frequently, uh, people connecting dots, uh, you might say, this is not the time because it's emotional. Well, there's always going to be emotion affixed to it because somebody's impacted by it. And uh, we should be repulsed and revolted by these things. And therefore, you've got people who are saying, uh, we've lost our way. We need to, again, set some uh, moral standard or a boundary. And that's well, I noted, I noted in Justin's depiction of the fundamental issues, which I think were deterrency, uh, what was the rehabilitation and protection of society. Among what others, is left yeah. out is the real fundamental issue, which is that of justice. And that's what the problem is here. Is justice What is that, a psychic notion that somehow you've got to feel that there was something to equate with the heinous nature of the crime? I meant these three attributes, among others, as attributes of justice, not leaving justice out. It begs the question of what justice is, right? And and again, is justice something which has been revealed to us, which is what Christians say, God has revealed his character, we bear his image, justice runs in accordance with his revealed character, or is it something that we determine for ourselves? If we determine it for ourselves, uh, we're not going to want to do uh, what we are no, we're no longer doing, which is presenting the ultimate sanction, because we want to determine our own destiny. That's what's happening with the removal of the death penalty as a sanction for the taking of life, is human beings are seizing in their own hands their own eternal destiny, and we're seeing the increasing proliferation of bureaucracy and a moral decline. Well, uh, and one I think thing we're not actually seeing, and one thing we're not actually seeing, and I think that's really, it's really important to get this out there, is increasing levels of violent crime. Again, yeah. the media yeah. tends to you know, explode upon sure. individual high-profile 
profile cases. Sure. And, and some politicians to put forward a strong on crime agenda, such as our current federal government, uh, make just unfactual claims. Harper in 2006 talked about uh, being threatened, our society being threatened by, quote, rising levels of gun, gang, and drug crime. At the same time, statistics, not that he's so big on that, um, yeah. suggested that all of those things were actually in decline and have been uh, since the early 90s or so. So if we're going to have a debate, it has to be informed by facts, and, and those are the facts. Let me, let me ask you, Scott, you know, as a pastor, uh, I just want to dial back into your own religious belief system where you mm. say, you know, life is sacred and therefore justice has to be done, or mm. as we understand. But if Jesus were present, I know this becomes, you know, very much the hypo- hypothetical and speculative, but, you know, in the case of a Robert Pictum, do you believe that Jesus would say, I condemn that man to death? I think Jesus would do what he always did in the New Testament, which is to say that he has come to fulfill the law in its fullness. Now, uh, which is, he pointed back to the people of the Old Testament, he says, not a jot or a tittle of this will I will pass away, and every bit of it will be fulfilled. In other words, the Old Testament, he puts it into effect. That's what I think. Having said that, he recognizes, and we see this at the cross, that he himself recognized that there was a problem of sin in all of humanity, and the one thing he came to do was to deal with that problem, and the way he dealt with it was to bear our sins on his shoulders. So he took the, the death penalty for us, for people who were sinners, although he was not one. Now, this is the fundamental tenet of the Christian faith. And where everybody stands together, we're all sinners before God. God himself bore our sins. And as a consequence, by faith in him, we can be free. Now, having said that, when, when moral transgressions take place, he's not like, like taking somebody's life. He's not going to say, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we don't need to, t- that person's life is not, sa- is not sacred. Well, that's ridiculous. He came to die for sin. That, how, how bad can it be when God himself is going to have to bear the price of sin? I mean, all right, well, it does set up the other uh, issue or the moral dilemma that uh, somehow by imposing the death penalty, it diminishes all of us in the sense that it lap- we lapse into a certain barbarism. Is there a danger in that, Justin Trottier? Yeah, and that's a fair point. And I, I think to Scott's argument, it's not clear cut what Jesus would do, if that's even an important question. Um, there are, I mean, the debate about the death penalty, the debate about slavery, the debate about women's suffrage. I mean, all of these um, examples of progress in our society, the Christian members of the Christian faith have argued for and against, and we see them doing that right now with the gay marriage debate in the U.S. So I, I'm not sure that we, that looking to religious values, if we can even really encapsulate those in a non-contradictory um, way, is a, is a fair way to go. But I just want to throw out there that it, it's not just Christianity as a ethical or religious tradition, which is weighing in and has historically weighed into these kinds of debates. The golden rule, for example, predates by a long time uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, so That's if we can maybe true. broaden the ethical debate here to talk about more general values about crime and punishment and that sort of thing, we have humanist values, we have secular values, we have non-Christian religious values. Um, it's a lot broader. And in, a, in a, the context of a complicated debate like this, there really is not even one Christian interpretation about what's right or wrong. Uh, you know, uh, I did want to dovetail this into, uh, you know, when we talk about being strong on crime, as uh, you suggested, you know, the conservative government has been banging that note for a long time now, and uh, whether it comes to pass, I don't believe we'll ever see the death penalty debated again. It just seems like it's talk, and uh, we've gone down that road here uh, for a brief stint just to get a, a sense for where uh, the argument arises anew. But uh, now you've got the issue of 
not strong on crime per se, but strong on trying to deter or preempt people from acting uh, in a, an antisocial way. Bullying has come up again on the docket. Third reading to be passed, I guess, any time now in the next few hours in the legislature. Laurel Broughton, the education minister, threatening cutting funding for those who don't obey the law. That's uh, Bill mm. 13. But it's interesting and instructive that the Institute of Marriage and Family Canada has come out, and uh, there was an op-ed piece in the, the paper on the weekend as well. I've got their press release. They question if anti-bullying legislation even works. Why do we need to reconsider the rush to legislate, as in Bill 13? Hmm. We've already had laws on the books since 2005, poured hundreds of millions of dollars into these initiatives. We still have bullying. So uh, what's this really all about? We'll get back into it in just a moment here with Scott Masson, who's a pastor, associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trottier, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. There's that, and also food bans seem to be proliferating these days as well, from Ontario to Mayor Bloomberg in New York City, now to the Disney people as well. And is that something that uh, makes perfect common sense, or is it social engineering that ought to be deterred? All right, we're back into the culture war. Again, Scott Masson, associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, Justin Trache, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance and. Justin, you were with us last week. We were debating the merits of Bill 13, and uh, Bill 13 is the one, the anti-bullying legislation that will pass third reading in the legislature later today, and a latest salvo fired from the government. Laurel Broughton, the education minister, suggesting she'd cut funding to those who disobey the law, in her words. It has nothing to do with defunding Catholic education. It has everything to do with making sure that all of our education system, our public, our Catholic, our French and English, are safe and accepting places for all of our students. All right, well, uh, there you go. So uh, she's thrown down a gauntlet. question, though, is, and it's been raised by uh, the Institute of Marriage and Family Canada, who sent out a press release late last week wondering, does anti-bullying legislation work? And they point out, introducing specific anti-bullying legislation is only another step in a long line of provincial initiatives. There's been significant funding dedicated to the issue with insufficient monitoring of the results. Ontario introduced a bullying prevention plan in 2005 that included $8 million for anti-bullying materials and $1 million more annually for a partnership with Kids Help Phone. In addition to this, between 07 and 10, the province spent $150 million on safe school programs. Every province has some measure in place to address bullying, yet the issue remains a serious problem despite years of funding provincial initiatives. The bigger problem, they write, with bullying is this. It's a complex relational issue requiring the engagement of parents, extended family, students, and educators. The law may have a role by providing clear definitions of bullying behavior, mandating the need for policies, assigning responsibility, and empowering educators with disciplinary tools, but it is community-level involvement that will best stop bullying. Scott Masson, I ask you, does the law here, meaning the province, the government, really have a role to play in bullying? I mean, anti-bullying legislation that they're about to pass when we've already had these previous initiatives, and bullying continues. Well, the government... Uh, calls it bullying legislation, but it's specifically designated as uh, requiring great gay straight alliances. So they've been presenting it as anti-bullying. There are f- currently five uh, legislations on bullying on on the books. If they wanted to do that, they could just enforce bullying. Uh, I think uh, I think this has nothing to do with bullying per se. I think it has to do with pushing a particular sexual agenda on the Catholic schools, which they know that they will not swallow. And uh, and they will take to court. And ultimately, I think that there is an attempt to defund the Catholic school system behind all this because they know that they will not swallow Unfortunately, this. Unfortunately, that's not true. 
Well, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, an assumption on my part. It's never been revealed as such. But the Catholic Church will not swallow this. Look, no one condones bullying. I've heard the Catholics on this. I've heard everyone says, other than the bullies, I guess, they condone bullying. But they don't like it when it happens to them. But mm-hmm. uh, this is appalling legislation that does nothing to protect those that it wants to protect. And it does a great deal of harm to, to the families whose uh, proper and fundamental responsibility it is to look after their own children. Well, I now, just can't, can't disagree more with that. I mean, if the Institute for Family Values wants... Uh, more uh, focus on the relational aspects of bullying. That's exactly what Bill 13 does. It talks about bringing parents in. It talks about bringing in other stakeholders, providing peer and, and student support, whereas the safe school program that they referenced because it was a, it was rather costly had more to do with, uh, with the criminal aspects of, of keeping schools safe, the zero tolerance policy, that sort of thing. And this new, this new approach is dealing in a relational way, just as the Institute for Family Values wants. So why they have a problem with it, if that's their if that's their concern, that's beyond me. But when we talk about the long history of bullying, we have to remember that part of that history, for example, was the equity and inclusive school strategy. That wasn't legislation that was invoked by the, the premier and the education minister about a year and a half ago. That was a strategy. And part of that strategy called for the allowance of since Scott brought it up, gay straight alliance clubs, if students wanted to call it that. Now, the reason why the GSA issue has become a part of Bill 13, a small part, by the way, I've read the bill, it's a very small part, is is because that strategy, which did not mandate a name, however, left it up to students. But the Catholic schools decided to pull the rights from these kids to name their club what they wanted and instead chose to censor the identity of these gay and lesbian students. And that's why Bill 13 has had to come basically to the rescue and, and say, sorry, you can't violate the charter. These accurate. children have Okay, look, look, parents choose to send their children to Catholic schools. Presumably they do so because they're Catholic and they conform to Catholic teaching, right? That's why they send them there. That's quite a for presumption, actually, but let's just that, move on. Well, for the government to legislate that they can't demand conformity to Catholic doctrine is effectively it's to It's a public say, institution. They have to conform to the, to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the laws of the land. It's right. that simple. It's effectively to say that it doesn't matter that, that what Catholics regard as truth needs to be held to be true. Now, no educator can accept that. This is a matter of freedom of conscience. What do Catholics regard as truth in this case, that gays are disordered? That there is one context for sexual activity, and that is marriage between a man and a woman. And, that, and it's got and gay marriage, gay uh, activity is as much verboten as uh, sex outside of marriage. And, other and the rest ways. of Ontarians who don't believe in that moral code that has should got fu- nothing to do with that? it. The fact is that Catholics are sending their kids to Catholic schools, and you're saying that Catholics cannot be Catholics. It. That's a sub. That's not a under secondary my tax issue. The question is: of Is there freedom that's of correct. conscience in Canada anymore, or not? All right. Well, hang on a second. We'll extend the segment. I did want to invite callers to the lines, uh, whether it's that death penalty debate from earlier or the role and responsibility of government. Does it have one here in this anti-bullying legislation, given there have been previous initiatives, uh, whether or not you believe that it had to do specifically with bullying? All right, extending the culture war with Scott Mass, an associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trache, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. This uh, Bill 13, the Gay-Straight Alliance Bill, some are calling it, but it's the anti-bullying legislation in the broader context. Being, uh, It'll be, uh, I guess, uh, passed into law with a third reading going later today. And uh, Laurel Broughton also threatening to cut funding to those who disobey the law, which might be perceived to be uh, a shot across the bow of the Catholic school boards mm-hmm. in, Toronto, in, in uh, Ontario. But uh, we were also wondering if anti-bullying legislation actually has merit. Do we even need this, given that... 
we already have anti-bullying laws on the books. They're just not being reinforced. They're not seen to be effective despite the millions of dollars that have been spent on such. Uh, what were you saying, Scott? There are five different pieces of legislation that deal with bullying right already. now. And uh, so you're saying this is redundant, but there's another agenda in play here. Right. All right. There's that. There's also government social engineering when it comes to food. We'll get around to that here in just a few moments. But Ramsey in Richmond Hill, let's take your call. Good morning, Oakley Show. Good morning, son. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. I, I do bring my kids to a Catholic school because um, I, I want them. I am Catholic, and I want them to learn the faith. Um, and on top of that, uh, my son's in grade five now, and uh, before they had to learn about uh, sex ed, we, we had a letter come home. And uh, my wife and I went went through it, and uh, as long as it didn't have anything to do with uh, anything other than you know a relationship between a man and a woman, then I was okay with it. If it had anything to do with uh, a relationship outside of a man and a woman, then I I wouldn't have had him go to those uh, uh, the classes because I don't want him learning that. But he may have friends and certainly colleagues in his class that have gay sexuality. Do you acknowledge that? Oh, no, 100% I do. Um, I just feel that being grade 5, being 10 years old, almost 11, it's a little bit too young to learn that. But it's okay to learn about heterosexual sex, just not the sexuality of some of his friends and colleagues, or at least that which they will grow into? No, I I do believe they know. I I believe that they are too young, and they should learn about uh, heterosexual sex, because they see that, they see the relationship I have, you know, me and and my wife, so they see a, a relationship, you know, that mom and dad, not dad and dad, or but mom some and of mom. the pupils in that class might have a dad and dad, or a mom and mom. Why can't they see that represented in their curriculum? They, they might, but the problem here is that you have a very, very low percentage of people. If not, if if none, you might have maybe one child in the entire school that has dad on. I'm not sure where you're getting that statistic mom. from. I'm not even sure that statistic's important. Who cares well, about the statistics? I, I feel it is because it's it's the entire it's the majority having to do something to to please the minority again. When it's if it's the majority of Catholic students that don't have that type of relationship or aren't exposed to it, there's just a minority of them. Then I don't think that the entire population so we should represent minorities in public institutions. That's got nothing okay. to do. The issue here is freedom of conscience. Does this man uh, and his wife have have the right to, in accordance with his conscience, have his children brought up in, with the moral values that he wishes? them to have? And the answer is yes. This is a fundamental human right. It's actually acknowledged in uh, Canadian charters. It's, it's acknowledged in UN charters of human rights. There and are other rights, though, in conflict. No, you, these you are keep... fundamental rights. Fundamental rights cannot be abrogated. Do you understand what fundamental means? Yes, of course you do. That means that nobody can come in and say, no, we're going to, we're, you're good. that's fundamental, except here. As soon believe as you equality say and freedom no of conscience and freedom of association and freedom of speech are also fundamental rights and should be honored as such in a publicly funded right, institution. But, Sorry right. to keep they're coming back to, a to Catholic that. Catholic school and they're done. They go, send them there because they conform to Catholic teaching. Then and pay Catholic, for it yourself. That's, it's, Catholic, it's really quite that simple. In right, 1867, yeah. Catholics did pay for it themselves. And the Constitution said that that would be guaranteed, not that others, non-Catholics, had to subsidize it. Right. And this and goes the situation back to what I say. Now. This legislation is terrible. The, the minister knows it. They know that the Catholics are going to take this to higher court. There is an end game here, which is to do away with the full funding of Catholic schools. Do you think, think Catholic schools, Scott, should be privatized the way other faith-based school systems are currently? I think that education ought to be wholly taken out of the hands of the government. Okay. I think they make a hash of it. I think that everyone should, should uh, pay for the education for their children. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that they see fit because the public education system is going on the moral decline that our society is, and I don't think that I, I should don't agree pay with that. To have but I do agree with you corrupted. on your consistent policy in the area of not privileging one particular faith group. All right, you right favor a voucher system is what you're saying. Yes, I would. All right, let me go to Frank. Take your call. Good morning, Frank. Hey, how are you? Good. Just a comment. Uh, you know, most kids, I have a 13-year-old, and he was absolutely uncurious about drugs. Wasn't interested in trying it. Didn't talk about it. Didn't pretend he was smoking a joint once in a while with his fingers, you know, doing emotions. As well as sexuality, till he was introduced to it in school. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is we should morph gay relationships and so on and so forth with normal heterosexual relationships. Are you, are you suggesting that gay relationships, which I don't have a problem with, should be... Your child's probably going to be introduced to those things either in the classroom within the within an educational context or he's going to be introduced to it in a back alley from his friends and peers who may not necessarily be able to give him the most educational information about drugs or sex. I grown up, grew up, but um, my kid doesn't hang out in a back alley. Sure. So well, that's the question I have Lots of kids hang out in places that their parents are not necessarily aware where they're hanging out. I wasn't judging your particular kid. I was talking more generally about... It's not general. Kids don't head out in back alleys learning about gayness. That's a ridiculous statement. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, Frank, I, I guess what you're saying, Justin, is he's going to be exposed to these things in life anyhow and uh, might as well do it in the context of the educational system is what you're arguing. Exactly. Why is the government mandating a social club? Have you, can you think of any other, any other social club that is mandated by the government as a policy and furthermore, which is student-led? Can you imagine the, uh, the legal consequences that the students are going to have to lead this? Well, who's going to be responsible if something happens in a club which has been mandated by the government for which children are responsible? The club's not mandated the by the government. What it the government's is. doing is saying that a, that a public institution cannot prohibit a set of students, in this case, from forming it will be a club. Called, they will have to be called gay No, they alliances. don't. No, yes, that's no, not no, what no, it is. That's not, said, no, I'm sorry, Scott, you're wrong. The minister said if students choose that name, that that name cannot be prohibited, that the identity of these students can't be censored in a public institution. That's what the minister is saying. So if they're mandated as student-led and something happens in this club... Who is going to be resp- legally responsible for what happens? Well, I don't understand that argument. So there shouldn't be extracurricular activities at all? What do you mean something no, happens? Can something you think can of another extracurricular curricular activity that is mandated by the government? Can you think of any other that's banned? Can you think of any other extracurricular culpable. activity that's banned in a public institution other than a gay student club? Well, this is we're talking about something that is at odds with the Roman Catholic faith. And I know you keep coming back to that, but you want to pretend that the Gay-Straight Alliance is the government doing extraordinary things uh, to mandate a club. What's actually happening is Catholic is. trustees, and not teachers, teachers support GSAs, by the way. People on the ground support GSAs. The teachers What's happening is do. trustees and bishops and cardinals are coming in and, and taking families. extraordinary power and privilege to remove the constitutional rights of these kids to form GSAs, All right. and that's why the government's had to come I'm going to have in. to wrap, but not without actually bringing up another note from the same Institute of Marriage and Family Canada, uh, whose press release today uh, talks about Conservative MP Stephen Woodward's motion M312, which proposes a bipartisan committee up in the House of Commons to discuss when life begins, and for which there's likely to be a vote on June mm. 13th. Do you believe this discussion ought to take place, Justin Trottier? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I think we've had the discussion. I'm not sure. 400 years ago. I think, I don't know. I, I don't have a problem generally with revisiting ethical conversations. I don't think this one's going to go very far, though. Scott Masson, <laughs> do we need this discussion in the House of Commons? Well, clearly, uh, the reason we need the discussion is because uh, human life apparently begins at, uh, at birth, uh, on the appearance of life. And, and so uh, we are cu- currently killing 
human beings in the womb. All right. And so well, we need as long to as it's the it. death penalty, then it's okay to, to kill human beings, just not when they're fetuses. When they've committed no crimes to kill somebody, yes, there's a difference there. Killing life is different than killing non Killing a human being is murder. Killing somebody who has murdered a in, as a legal response to it, I think there's a difference there. Well, I guess there. this is a larger debate. Well, we're gonna, well, we'll pick it up again if it comes to pass that on the 13th it's voted in that they'll uh, have a discussion in the parliament when life begins. Those will be heady days indeed. We'll look forward to that. I appreciate it very much this morning. Always a great discussion. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Justin Trache, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.